welcome to another DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and with me is Jane Litt from Dear Author. This week we're talking about gifting. What books do you give to different people in your life? We talk a little bit about the books that we have given to people, the books that we've received as gifts, whether or not Jane has ever given me a gift of a book, which she has, but she says she hasn't. So if you're thinking about what book you might want to buy for someone in your life this holiday season, we have a lot of suggestions for you. I also have a message from Harlequin, our awesome sponsor of the podcast. Harlequin's new Christmas books have arrived, and you can share the gift of romance this season if you visit harlequin.com slash christmasbooks. And I will just tell you, between all of you and me, that I totally sent an email to Harlequin and said, I know you guys have Hanukkah romances because I've read them. You should put them in a bundle for the Hanukkah people. So we have our own bundle of, you know, books about latkes because who doesn't want romance with fried potatoes, right? There's a, there's a lack of fried potato in our romance. So I'll let you know if that happens. Now, on with the podcast. So are you ready to talk about gifting? Sure. All right. So this was, this was your topic idea, uh, a book gift guide for everybody you know. No pressure. <laughs> well, every... <clears throat> Uh, a lot of people do that in October, and I guess publishers put out their big books in October, for example, Casual Vacancy, right. uh, because the holiday season is a major source of revenue for all retailers, including um, in, in including the publishers. It's funny because I don't think about gift buying until at least November, although I am starting to plan my annual gift guides on the website. And, um, if anyone listening has suggestions of things you'd like me to feature on the gift guide, you can email me, but I have, I've started taking notes. I didn't start thinking about posting them until the end of October because I get annoyed if I go to Kohl's and there's Christmas trees at this time of year. We haven't even had Halloween yet, but I know that if I go to Kohl's, there's going to be a Christmas tree or like 10. The holiday, the holiday season starts to starts earlier and earlier. It's very strange. So it makes sense, but it's still not, I'm not ready to shop, but I'm ready to talk about it. Does that make sense? You're so efficient. You probably have 2013 Christmas gifts already bought, don't you? (laughs) No, but, um, half of them, (laughs) you know, we do know what we're getting. And so it's just a matter of ordering those items and having them sent out. I have not yet started picking out the gifts for the family. I bought my husband a smoker which is the best thing that's ever happened to our patio for his birthday and father's day, which are, um, June and July. And he has the idea of making huge smoked pieces of meat and then, uh, shrink, uh, putting them in the food saver, like the, the shrink wrap shrinky dink food saver machine that sucks all the air out of the little plastic bag. And then shipping that to people who aren't too far away with dry ice. I have no idea where he's going to get the time and the money to do all this dry ice. If it falls on me, I'm going to be annoyed, but he wants to send people the food that he's made this year, which I think is awesome. I want no part of that exercise. I like to order things and have them sent out, but I still don't know what I'm getting yet. So let's start with you. What book gift guides do, what books do you suggest as a, as a gift for different people? Well, I think for the person who in your life, if they um, carry around their day planner or they are very task oriented, I'd recommend buying the book uh, by Charles Duhigg, The Power of Habit. Yes, you reviewed with, that last week, right? Right. I thought it was just an excellent book and I've recommended it to a lot of friends of mine. 
um, <clears throat> I actually bought, I, I had the hardcover from um, Random House, bought the ebook uh, and the audiobook, and I gave the hardcover copy to my brother. So um, that's a book I'd recommend to individuals who, it, it's not for everyone because I don't think everyone's brain thinks that way. Um, but I think for people who are real task oriented, uh, that this uh, is a real interesting book. Um, for the man in your life, um, maybe even for the woman in your life, uh, I'd recommend the book Generation Kill by Evan Wright. And then um, you, there's also an HBO miniseries that you can buy in DVD. Uh, it actually stars Alexander Skarsgård way back when. So I think the, mov- the movies were made several years ago before he became Eric of uh, True Blood. So he was hot, but he wasn't as well known as hot. Well, he, I mean, he was attractive. For I have not seen the the DVD or the movie, and I probably won't. Um, but I did read the book Generation Kill uh, on the recommendation of a friend of mine. And it, Evan Wright is a reporter who is embedded in the first uh, battalion of Marines that were sent into Iraq um, in the war many years ago. And he gives, I thought, a really even-handed account of what it was like to be in war. It's not a real philosophical, not intentionally a philosophical discussion about whether we should be there, Mm -hmm. but more about the lives of the individuals who are serving and how disparate they are, um, how they come together over this bond. And and, uh, it highlights some of the really tragic inefficiencies um, of the military for example, uh, one of the largest concerns when the military was um, starting their campaign was chemical warfare. And so they had these uh, chemical protection warfare suits they called MOPs. And I can't remember what that acronym stands for right now. But the MOPs, uh, are how I envisioned them, they were like fireman gear. They were um, pants with suspenders and a jacket, and then over the jacket, you would put your uh, artillery vest and your pack and your um, Kevlar. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of stuff goes on top. But whomever manufactured these this gear forgot to put a fly in there. No. Yeah. <laughs> soldiers to void, they would have to, un, you know, take all their gear off, take their jacket off, pull down their pants, and then do their business. That's Um, ridiculous. Really good friend of mine who um, served in Afghanistan, and I was talking to him about this book, and he said that um, sometimes if if they would know that they were going to – because a lot of of what you do over there is apparently drive long distances. So you could drive eight hours a day. And this was true in Generation Kill. You, these uh, Marines would drive and drive and drive and then sit and wait and then drive and drive and drive and, and sit. And sit. Um, but uh, he said, you know, you'd intentionally dehydrate yourself. You wouldn't eat or drink um, if you knew that you were going to be in the car all day long. Because- but otherwise you'd have to pee and then you're miserable. Yeah. So they had actually tried to get a requisition for diapers, like depends. Um, no. But- Apparently that was not able to go through, and um, so my friend had served, um, I want to say six years ago, mm-hmm. 
even six years ago, they hadn't resolved the whole no fly in the mop suit. That is preposterous. And that's one of the th- things that's in, it says it's in uh, Generation Kill. Yeah. I mean, so it's a really interesting book. Evan Wright is a, is a very breezy writer. I've read other military books. Um, <clears throat> the other military book that I would recommend is We Know When the Men Are Gone. And that one is by John Fallon. John Fallon. <clears throat> yeah. And this is a, st- a story of essays, a collection of essays, or not essays, but maybe short stories uh, um, about a fake army um, uh, uh, base on, in the U.S. And she tells it from the primarily the female point of view, the women who are left behind. And the title comes from the very beginning where she says, we know when the men are gone because there's no heavy boots. There's, you know, she just, there's a certain silence that descends on the military base when all the men are gone. And it was such an interesting story because you get so many different perspectives of the different individuals. And some of them are very sad. Um, some of them are scary. And uh, a couple of them are really hopeful. All these stories provide a different viewpoint of the people who are left behind. Mm -hmm. And it's real challenging for them as well. And I appreciated the stories because it gave me a little more insight as to the sacrifices that everyone makes, not just the soldiers, but their families. So do you read a lot of military romances? Um, I have in the past. I haven't recently, but I have in the past. I can't these books were sent to me kind of randomly. Generation Kill was recommended to me by a friend. Um, but I had gotten sent the book where the um, we know when the men are gone as a review copy. And uh, I try to look at all of the books that are sent to me. And I opened this book and I started reading and I couldn't put it down. So it's not a book I'd ordinarily pick up, but it's really well written. I think she's actually won some awards for it. Um, and I think it's just a really touching story. Does what you read about the military affect how you view military romances? Are you more or less interested in them now because you know more about the the, the, the nonfiction accounts of military life versus the fictional version? No, because I think that the military romances are so far removed from reality. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that. <laughs> you mean not everyone's a Navy SEAL? Really? Well, and truthfully, the books that I've read with Navy SEALs, the true story Navy SEALs books, have actually kind of made me less, uh, I mean, you really have to set those aside to be able to read the Navy SEAL romances. Like, for example, I did read American Sniper, which was sent to me by um, uh, for review. And again, I have no idea why I get these military books. You know, I, I used th- to get I used to get biographies and autobiographies of females. Like if there was a woman on the cover and it was a biography or an autobiography, I got a copy. And that went on for a year before I finally could figure out how to make it stop. I think you get on a list and you never get off. Yeah, I, you know, maybe, you know, my blogging partner Jane is a big World War II fan mm-hmm. and we've reviewed or she's reviewed some World War II books and I don't know if that has then um that has put us on some military list. I bet so. Um, but for whatever reason, I actually get a number of military books. And um, so I read American Sniper. And American Sniper is, it's not written by this guy, but it's ghost, I think it's ghost written. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
he apparently holds the record uh, for having the most kills in combat. The record was previously held by a sniper in Vietnam. So this uh, American sniper is a Navy SEAL. And I reviewed it on Goodreads. I didn't review it on Dear Author. When I reviewed it, I felt bad because I really didn't like the book. And I didn't like the person who uh, was supposedly writing the book. And so I wanted to acknowledge that, obviously, I was very grateful for this person's service. But whatever you might um, um, think about Navy SEALs, like um, that they're the, the silent warrior type, mm-hmm. don't read American Sniper if you want that uh, you want that uh, I- image you to be. You want to be able to sustain that, that fantasy. Right, because the guy was just, I don't know, I hate to say this, but he was like a loudmouth braggart. I mean, he would talk about how he would go into bars and they'd get into fights with locals because all the local guys think that um, they could take one of them on, but they could never take him on. And um, he had a, he, he didn't have any philosophical feelings about killing. Um, kind of viewed it as a video game. And then a lot of the book was about, there were letters from his second wife in there about um, coming to terms with uh, him being gone, but not about you know him being a sniper or anything like that. And then in the ultimate letdown, <laughs> the guy has to leave the SEAL, uh, the military, for, because I think he has a back injury or something. I can't remember exactly the medical condition. And becomes a chiropractor. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's not my favorite. That So I would not recommend American Sniper. I thought the Generation Kill was really great. You, um, and I've heard great things about the HBO, but I just don't watch a lot of TV, so I can't imagine that I'm going to watch that. And then when... Um, we Know When the Men Are Gone by Siobhan Fallon. Uh, for kids, I love the Where the Mountain Meets the Moon by Grace Lynn, although I know that Angie James read that book and didn't love it. So, But it is, um, I think, a beautiful Chinese fairy tale, but you don't have to be Chinese to appreciate the beauty of the story, and it's got some wonderful color illustrations. A book that my daughter and I just got done reading is called Wonder, and I don't know how to pronounce this person's name, but it's R.J. Palacio, or Palacio, and it's about a boy who has cranial uh, facial abnormalities, and it's told from his point of view, his sister's point of view, two of his friends' points of view, and then another, uh, a, a few more other characters, and... Um, it sounds like a lot, but trust me, it's really not. And it's just a really beautiful story about this kid who's been homeschooled, and he goes to middle school for the first time, and it's really challenging for him. Um, but his greatest uh, desire is just to be viewed as normal. And there's, it's just really a beautiful story. And um, I thought when I when I read it with my daughter. I thought there was a lot of things that she learned from it. From There's a part at the end where the middle school teacher says that, you know, greatness 
of a person isn't measured necessarily by how much money they make or um, the the job that they get or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, that he thinks greatness is measured by the acts of unnecessary kindness that you do. And I thought that was really a beautiful sentiment. So it's a story she really enjoyed and I really enjoyed reading with her. That's cool. Any other recommendations for romance readers? It's funny. I started making a list of books to recommend and I came up with a lot of nonfiction and a lot of books that I've enjoyed, but that I realized I very rarely give romances to other people because to me, romance specifically is a very intimate genre. And I don't know that many people in my actual life who I give gifts to who share that enjoyment of romance, who don't also probably already own the book I'm thinking of anyway. So I very rarely give romance novels, but didn't you tell me, was it last year or the year before you gave a lot of people copies of the Iron Duke? I did. How did people think react to that? Year- did they like it? Well, some of them did and some of them didn't. I think this year I would probably give them copies of Riveted because Riveted is such a different story by Mel Jean and it's very romantic. Um, I think maybe the things that uh, readers might not have liked about Iron Duke wouldn't be present in Riveted. But those, I definitely think Mel Jean is the type of author that you can give to people who aren't romance readers. And um, I wouldn't probably buy books for romance readers. I don't have um, romance readers that I give gifts to anyway, but if I did have a romance reader in my life, I probably wouldn't give her a gift either because, a a book either, because uh, romance readers tend to buy their own books. And, um, you know, and if they're not buying it, they're getting it at the library. And by the Mm -hmm. time Christmas rolls around or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa, they've already gotten it from some source, unless it's some book that, you know, coming out in um, December. Mm -hmm. I buy books for people in my life who are readers, but who don't read on the scale that I do. Yeah, I, I very rarely give romances as gifts, not only because of the intimacy of it and the fact that I don't know anybody, but if somebody is a romance reader, you're right. They probably already have read the book that I'm thinking of. Or I'm this is this is kind of a horrible thing to say, but I'm less likely to give a book as a gift for a major holiday because a book is something I'd give somebody on a random day. And if it's a holiday, I feel like the gift needs to have more meaning than, you know, I would have given this to you on a random Tuesday in October, no problem, but I saved it for Hanukkah. I I want the, the Hanukkah gift to be a little bit more thoughtful and somewhat larger when a book is something that I would give somebody without thinking about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess I always give children's books to my friends who are parents. That's Um, a very good idea. And so I, uh, and then I uh, generally buy a book for every member of my family. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So what, what other children's books do you recommend? Do you have any other recommendations? Um, we've read some, we just started belonging to a mother daughter book club in my neighborhood and we've read some books that I didn't think that were particularly good or entertaining. Um, I think Grace Lynn, who writes these, uh, who wrote Where the Mountain Meets the Moon, is a great writer. And she has two kind of contemporary stories for kids in middle school called The Year of the Dog and The Year of the Rat. And one of them, and I can't remember which one, won the Newbery Award. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I actually find the Newbery Award to be really um, fairly accurate. I mean, the, the books that have the Newbery Award are actually pretty good books. I've yet to be disappointed by one. That's cool. I've never used an award as a way to find a book to read. I generally don't either. Um, but uh, You mean you don't just religiously pick up books that win the Rita? What's wrong with you? But I, I have found um, that the Newbery Award, that one, the books that have won the Newbery Award that I've read have all been good reads. We read the, um, is it Jean-Georges? Oh, John Craighead George. She wrote, she writes Julie of the Wolves, Julie, Julie's Wolf Pack. Right. Um, we love those stories. They were set at, they're set in Alaska about a girl who runs away from home and then lives among the wolves for quite some time. And then the last book, we didn't read the second book, but the last book, um, the, the stories are told from the wolves point of view. I just thought it was a great, um, insight into the tradition of the Eskimo way of life and kind of the, um, sanctity of, of natural wildlife and how important it is for these animals to have un, uh, undiluted um, land uh, in which to continue their um, a cycle of life. Have you read those with your daughter? Yes, read those with my daughter. What did she think? Oh, she loved them. That's awesome. <laughs> That's very cool. I... Um my older son, Freebird, is turning seven next month, and he is a very, very big reader. My younger son, uh, Bubba O'Reilly, has just turned five, so he's just now figuring out how to sight read. And he reads a lot more than he thinks he does. Like, he thinks he can't read something, and then he looks at the words, and he's like, oh, I do know that word. So he's progressing with his reading and hasn't picked up a book on his own. My older son has my kindle from two kindles ago remember when the kindle went from like a wedge shape to a really big flat white thing with big buttons yeah he, he is the big white flat one he thinks it's the coolest thing that he has his own kindle he loves the dan gutman series um wacky school days weird school days and school days his books are about a little boy named aj who doesn't like school so they're narrated by a boy and what's interesting is that he doesn't like school and my older son identifies with the girl in the book because she likes school and so does he. So he'll talk to me about which character he is more like and which character he is not like. And I find that fascinating because I've I, that's, not some, that's not a conversation I've ever had with him. The good thing about those books is they're about 5 to $7 and there's a pile of them. So if he gets started on one part of the series, there's a never-ending supply for him to keep reading at this point. They don't do anything <coughs> amazing. They don't do anything you know culturally amazing or anything um, – particularly outstanding in terms of intellectual growth, but he really likes reading them because they are silly and they have a sort of, um, there's sort of a halfway point between fine literature <coughs> and Captain Underpants. Well, my daughter loves Captain Underpants. Oh, and, and the super diaper babies. Yes. But she, I, always tell, I always tell people, you know, Dave Pilkey is writing about important things. He's writing about, um, bullies. He's writing yeah. about, um, you know, reforestation. He's taught. <laughs> he totally is. I, I love, um, I can never get this right. The two cavemen, Uck and Gluck or Gluck. Yes. I love them. I think they are. I think they're brilliant. 
Um, there's another one I was trying to think of. Oh, the Lunch Lady series. Has has your daughter seen the, the Lunch Lady graphic novels? No. The Lunch Lady graphic novels, I think there are five or six of them. And they're they're written by, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, Jared Krasoska, who also does a series of children's books called Punk Farm about a bunch of barn animals who have a late night punk rock band and go on tour when the farmer's out of town. But the Lunch Lady graphic novel series is about a team of lunch ladies who defend the school and the students uh, from invading cyborgs and robots and aliens disguised as substitute teachers. But the charm of it that I love is uh, all of her tools are lunch lady stuff. Like her binoculars are made of manicotti and her lunch tray is actually a secret laptop. And she and this other lunch lady have these secret entrances in and out of the school using all of these tools that you don't think are particularly interesting. And it's so interesting. And because the kids who are telling the story are witnessing the lady, the lunch lady doing all these super awesome spy things, they, they have this sort of, we can't believe what we're looking at, but it's awesome. And the drawings are really awesome too. We'll have to look into that. She would probably like those a lot. So moving away from kids stuff, shall we go with my list or anything else you want to recommend? No, go ahead. Okay. So I took your topic idea and started to make lists of people that I've given books to. And I realized that most of the people who I've given books to, I've given, I've given them books of two specific kinds. I've either, I've either given cookbooks or cooking books or books about food, or I give nonfiction science stuff. And sometimes I give nonfiction science stuff that's about food, which is like the best of both worlds. The only piece of fiction that I've ever given people as a gift is Lamb, the Gospel According to Biff, Christ's Childhood Best Friend by Christopher Moore. Lamb is a retelling of the gospel from the perspective of Christ's best friend from when he was an adolescent, which is the period of time which is not documented of Jesus' life in the gospels. The angels resurrect Biff, who was Christ's best friend, and lock him in a hotel room and tell him, you need to write these missing chapters because we need to know what happens and we need to complete the gospel. So Biff starts telling the story of Christ's adolescence. And Christ was an awkward adolescent like everyone else, but the story reimagines the gospel in a very irreverent and sarcastic way, but it's hilarious. And it's, and by the end of it, because I, I grew up Episcopalian and I went to church and I was in the choir and I served the altar and I was an acolyte. So I knew a lot about the, the progression of the story of the life of Christ. And then I converted to Judaism when I was 24. So I have a, and you have to take classes to do that. So I have a pretty good understanding of both perspectives. This book made me understand both perspectives in such a way that I had not appreciated before. So it made me a better Jewish person, but it also made me appreciate Christianity in a different way. It'll, it'll blow your mind. This book is so good. That's pretty much the only piece of fiction I give people on a regular basis. If I find out they haven't read it and I know that they're interested about history and, and religious and, and cultural perspectives, I'm like, you have to read this book because it'll blow your mind. And then they come back and go, that was amazing. And it's one of the few books I've read like that that made me re-see a lot of the things that I do on my daily life differently. Otherwise, I have a list of cooking-type books and then nonfiction, science-y, brainy-type stuff. So I'll start with the cooking stuff. There is a blogger who wrote a website called Herbivoracious, whose name is Michael Natkin. And his book just came out and it's called Herbivoracious, a flavor revolution with 150 vegetarian recipes. He is an experimental vegetarian cook. And if you're interested in cooking vegetarian things, 
the the book is really interesting. And he also has one of the best recipes for vegetarian broth that's really meaty and has a lot of depth of flavor. It's not like, you know, vaguely colored beige water. It's really flavorful. And I've used that in Thanksgiving dishes for my family when we have vegetarians and vegans, and they can't tell the difference between that and the chicken broth. It's wonderful. Mark Bittman, if you've never read anything about how to cook stuff, he has a series of books called How to Cook Everything, How to Cook Everything, The Basics, How to Cook Everything Vegetarian, then How to Cook Everything, I think it's How to Cook Everything Quickly or How to Cook Everything Express or you know How, how to Cook Everything Rush Hour, food that you can make fast. His books are wonderful because they explain how to cook different things and why one thing is different from another thing and what ingredients actually do. And if you're, oh, I struggle to recommend this cookbook because there's some things I don't like about it. There's a great book called Don't Panic Dinners in the Freezer, which gives you a full day of cooking and then you take all of the things that you've cooked and you put them in the freezer and then you defrost them and cook them as you need. On one hand, this is awesome because in one morning I've come up with two weeks of dinner from chicken and beef and casseroles and everything. But on the other hand, it uses a lot of ingredients that are very processed, like this can of mushroom soup and an entire bottle of Catalina salad dressing. And if you're paying attention to the ingredients of what you like, these recipes aren't going to work for you. But they worked for me when I could find substitute ingredients that weren't full of chemicals that I try to avoid. And it's kind of nice to know, oh, we can have this. I'll just take it out of the freezer in the morning. It'll be ready to cook at the end of the day. And because you're defrosting and marinating it at the same time, you do get foods that are pretty flavorful. But by far the best cookbook I can recommend is called Cooking for Geeks, Real Science, Great Hacks, and Good Food. I think I got a copy of this at one of the O'Reilly Tools of Change a year or two ago because it's an O'Reilly book. But it starts out by talking about the science of cooking and then ways to build your own cooking appliances, like building your own sous vide and how that works, and random hacks for doing things in the kitchen that are more efficient. One of the things that I learned from this book is if you are spraying a cookie sheet or muffin tins with nonstick cooking spray, open the drawer or open the door of your dishwasher and put everything on the door of the dishwasher, spray it, and then pick it up. That way you don't get nonstick spray on your countertops, which for me takes forever to get off. I can never get that stuff off goofy little tips like that make it make it interesting to read plus it's a lot of science which my husband totally loved now my dad is one of those people who likes civil war battlefields and has a favorite civil war general um and that's kind of about it like that's all he reads about so when i try to buy books for him it's very difficult i have had a lot of success with giving him books about science specifically the Mary Roach books, which are Stiff, which is about dead people, Spook, which is about ghosts, Packing for Mars, which is about space travel, and Bonk, which is about sex. I kind of hesitated about giving my dad a, about a book about the science of sex, but I'm 37 at this point. I think he can accept it. He said he thought that they were great and that they were hysterical. I've heard some people saying that, that the Roach books are very science light, and if you're used to really deep investigative science reports, this is going to be really boring. But if you're not that well-versed in how things happen and why things happen, they're interesting explorations of things that people don't really want to know that much about or just don't know that much about. If you're looking to give a book to somebody who likes to tell stories or likes to have behind-the-scenes knowledge or the kind of person who only reads when they're on the toilet. 
there are two books that I can recommend for that. Now, everyone has a toilet book, right? I mean, please tell me you have a toilet book. People who have a book that they keep on the toilet and they read it when they're in the bathroom and that's pretty much when they read, there are two really good books for them. One is by Rob Lowe, Stories I Only Tell My Friends. And you'd think, oh, Rob Lowe is not going to write a book that's really good. It's actually very entertaining. Rob Lowe is one of those people who ends up in weird situations with famous people and then tells you stories about them. And he doesn't come across as a really braggarty, self-absorbed, douchebag kind of a guy. Um, like one of the stories is in the book, he was dating a girl who turned out to be, I think it was Cary Grant's niece. And so at one point when he was in his like way, way early 20s, he went over to her house to watch a game and ended up watching the game with Cary Grant. Which, you know, who does that? Apparently that's what Rob Lowe does. Rob Lowe does that. So his book is all about these stories of his career and you get both behind the scenes stuff and really funny stories. And it's perfect for a toilet book because you can sort of show up and then come back to it and you haven't lost very much. It's all very episodic. The other show that is not surprisingly at all episodic or the other book that's very episodic is Top of the Rock Inside the Rise and Fall of Must See TV by Warren Littlefield. That is all about basically the creation of Thursday Night Must See TV and is a behind the scenes and catalog and collection of anecdotes and, and stories from the people who created and were in Friends and Seinfeld and ER. And it goes into how those shows became such a block of, was it three hours of TV programming that everyone would tune into? How that happened and how it hasn't happened since. Plus, it's very gossipy, and it's about television, and it, you know, it's got a lot of behind-the-scenes information, and it's easy to drop into and pull out of. I didn't mean for that to sound really gross, but it totally did. <laughs> so, if is there a book, is there a romance that you read this year or recently that you would recommend as a gift? to a romance reader? Is there a book where you think, okay, I think that this will appeal to a large number of romance readers and I think a lot of people should check out this book. Is there a book like that that you can recommend? I mean, there's always there's always books that have broad commercial appeal. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, for, when I'm buying for romance readers, because they read so much, uh, I want to know more about them before I recommend the book. That and, and the fact that there are so many different kinds of romance that two romance readers could have no interest in each other's books. Right. Like, I would probably never buy you a romance book. I don't know that I'd ever buy you a book. I might buy you a kid's book because I think maybe your sons would like it. But, um, you know, I, I feel like if you are a heavy reader, then you probably have a pretty good idea of what you like and what you don't like. And I, in order to be able to give you a gift, I'd have to know more about your reading tastes. Well, you know a lot about my reading tastes. They don't match yours. <laughs> However, I will point out that you did buy me a book or you recommended that my husband buy me a book. And it was Joan Wolfe's, is it His Lordship's Mistress? Yeah. You recommended that one to him to buy as a gift. And it was really, really good. You have a deeper knowledge than I do about older category romances, especially the older Regencies. So if you were going to recommend those, I would totally take your recommendation. And if you were going to gift those, I think they make good gifts because you might not otherwise discover. I would never have known about Joan Wolfe's books if you hadn't told me. 
Right, but those are all going to have to be digitally purchased. I don't buy a lot of digital books or any, you know, um, for gifts. I buy big hardcovers as gifts. As gifts, it is a much more um, weighty gift. It, it there's a word I'm looking for. It's impressive. It is. It is. It is a definite. Oh, forget it. it. If you give somebody a hardback, it's a bigger deal than sending them a digital book, even if the digital book is more expensive. Yeah, or you know, uh, I would might give them a the gift, the book, and then I give them a gift card so they can buy whatever they want. <laughs> We're very big on the gift cards. Yes, I like. I have. I have become a lover of gift cards. Much, much gift carding going on now, especially for for birthday gifts for all the birthday parties. Oh, I do that too. Yeah, you were the one that first told me about that. Oh, thank goodness. I do that all the time. I buy a tiny gift, like a $2 gift, uh-huh. and then I hook a gift card to it. And um, it's just so much easier. Plus, you know, those kids get so much crap at their party, and then they can use the gift card some other time. Like, what kind of mini gifts do you give? Like a, like a mini figure from Legos or something? No, but um, could be, like if it's a girl, maybe I'd buy them like a... a set of bangles from Walmart or something. One thing I have done is found um, Crayola stuff, buy one, get one free, and I'll buy a bunch of Crayola stuff and then parcel it out over the year. But right now, everyone who my sons know is obsessed with Legos. Everyone is into Legos. It's like there's a Lego fever going around and everyone has it right now. Everybody wants Legos. Legos, Legos, Legos. So I have started buying the creator kits when I find them on sale. And those are about 10 bucks a pop. When they're not on sale... I go with the gift cards and like a little tiny Lego thing, like a Lego mini figure or a mini something, which makes a much better gift because then they get something little and then they, like you said, they can go shopping. That's all for this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed our discussion of books as gifts. If you have ideas of books that we should be giving, or if you've given romances or other books as a gift and it's been very successful or unsuccessful, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a message at our Google Voice mailbox, and that number is 1201-371-DBSA. Please don't forget to give us your name and where you're calling from so we can include your message in an upcoming podcast. We also have a Facebook page. And I don't know if you are on the Facebook, as my mother-in-law likes to say, but we have a Facebook page. And if you'd like to respond to us and talk back to us on Facebook, we're over there, too. The Facebook page is facebook.com slash DBSA podcast. And if you've got suggestions for a future episode... You can talk to us on Facebook, you can email us, you can call us, you can just go out on the porch and yell really loud, we'll probably hear you. Harlequin has more things they'd like to tell you, which is totally cool with us because they were awesome enough to sponsor the podcast. Get ready for Halloween. Save 40% on a wide selection of paranormal books on a budget. The sale ends October 30th. Visit harlequin.com slash paranormal sale. I like sales. Do you like sales? I'm very excited to have an information about a sale. I love a sale. Yay. It could be a sale on things that I don't need, like waiters, and I still want to see what the sale is. So if you're interested in waiters, Harlequin cannot help you, but Harlequin does have paranormal books on a budget. Now through October 30th. In the next few weeks, I will be headed to Australia for Genre Con. I'm going to try to tackle Australians and interview them for the podcast if I can. And we're going to do another 
podcast all about holiday books, books that were actually about holidays, like, you know, all of the Christmas romances. The music that you're listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater, and you can find her on Twitter at Sassy Outwater. This is a group out of Northern California called Three Mile Stone. Most of the time, she says the group is a part because they all have individual projects, but when they get a chance to do a show, it's usually in the Bay Area, and it's worth catching. This song is called Snug in a Blanket, and I will have links on the page where you can find this album or their entire collection on iTunes and their website. And, of course, no matter where you are and what you're doing, we both wish you the very best of reading. 